Welcome to the Gate Crashers Podcast, where we storm the gates of publishing and dare to talk about the realities of the industry. I'm your Ivory Tower representative, Amanda Liedeke, literary agent and vice president at McGregor and Liedeke. And I'm your self-publishing insider, Therese Crow, novelist and speaker. This is season four of the Gate Crashers Podcast. Can't believe we made it this far. Right? Feels like just yesterday. <laughs> We're off to it really preschool. Does. <laughs> it really does. Every time I'm at a convention and, you know, I meet another writer, like I always give them the business card for the podcast. And I realized I was like, wow, we're coming up on season four. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, we have over a hundred episodes. And I looked at it and I was like, we're getting really close to 150. Yeah. That's incredible. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It is. So to start this season off with a bang, we are tackling probably the most talked about topic in book publishing right now, and it comes from the Penguin Random House uh, antitrust trial, um, and that is the sale numbers, the sales of books. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with it, back in November of 2020, um, Paramount Global announced their intention to sell Simon & Schuster to Penguin Random House. Of course, Penguin Random House became Penguin Random, when they merged together, I think back in 2013, turning the big six into the big five. And if this merger is successful, the big five is going to shrink to, well, the big three and the mega one. I mean, they're <laughs> going to represent such a huge part of the market that the Department of Justice has gotten involved where there is like minimal example of case law in this situation. I was breaking this down with Ben last night and he was saying, oh, it's a monopoly close. It's a monospony, which is slightly different. So a monopoly is when a business owns so much of a sector that they can just set the price for something. I can just set the price for your internet service because you have no other provider. So I can just mm -hmm. charge whatever I want. A monospony is when I own so much of the market that I can set the price of the laborer's value. I can assign the laborer's value. So the issue at hand is if they merge are book advances going to shrink? Are royalties going to shrink? Can we allow this to happen and basically force writers out of the market? So mm. it's the Department of Justice is interfering on the behalf of the laborers and kind of on the behalf of if this merger happens, does it kill the industry itself? Or at least like put it on a path to dying, essentially. Mm. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Some interesting numbers came out of the trial, and it's it's worth giving it a little bit of context ahead of time that the Department of Justice, that was that's their argument. And then the publishers are essentially taking this defense of like, we're all bumbling idiots. We have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea what's going to be successful. Nobody knows. Everything in publishing is a gamble. Which, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean, it's it's yes, but it's no can buy something and you can pay a ridiculous advance for it. And that doesn't guarantee that it's going to be successful. That's just mm -hmm. obvious. But yeah, I mean, when you start breaking down the numbers of what they, when you start breaking down, like how much they actually put towards advertising, it's such a tiny slice of the revenue. Yeah. If you, if you paid somebody over $250,000 in an advance, you're gonna be more aggressively pushing that book than the one that you only paid $10,000 for. That's just, 
Right. How else would you keep yourself in business? Right. I think, um, in terms of like individual books, yeah, it's a total gamble and you don't know if it's going to succeed, but when they step back and when they look at their business as a whole, it's, it's still like, they're just kind of hedging their bets in, in the long run, but right. they can reasonably deduce that they're going to be profitable or something like that. You know, like it's not, they may not know, not know exactly where all of the money will come from, but um, they can feel pretty confident that they're going to not go belly up. Exactly. And they do, they, they do a risk assessment essentially with every title of what they've put into it, what they expect to get out of it. Right. And help use that to determine, okay, how much advertising are we going to put toward this? What kind of goals do we need to have to continue pushing the advertising for this? If it doesn't meet these goals, do we just stop trying to sell it? That, that definitely exists. So So the tweet heard round publishing world, the publishing yes. world that is getting everyone, everyone's panties in a massive bunch mm-hmm. is, do you want to give the, do you have the details of the tweet or do you want me to? Yeah, know? I do. Um, I don't have the tweet pulled up, but I have the numbers right here. Okay. Yeah. So the numbers that that tweet quoted came directly out of the trial. I'm pretty sure it came from the defense. It came from the publishers. So, you know, add a little asterisk to this for sure. Well, didn't the, wait, didn't the tweet come from April Henry? Yeah, April Henry, but the numbers themselves came out of the trial. Yeah, so April Henry was the one who tweeted this. um, And what was allegedly said in the trial was of the 58,000 trade titles published by the big five every year, half of them sell less than a dozen copies. 90% sell fewer than 2,000 and 98% sell fewer than 5,000 which that fewer than a dozen copies is just, like you said, that's what's got everybody's panties in a bunch here. I mean, yeah. how can half of these books sell fewer than 12 copies? Right. From what I've been reading, what's, what's been happening is conservatives have been saying, see, this is what happens when you publish liberal books. No one wants to buy them. And then meanwhile, and then you have the self-publishing crowd saying, see, this is why self-publishing is the best. And it's just creating all of this angst and among traditionally published authors where they're like, wow, I had no idea that it was like this. Um, But I feel like there's there, I know there's way more to the story than this number because I have never had a book sell that few copies. Right. Ever. And if it was so common, if it happened 50% of the time, then I would have that. You would like, have experience with it. Exactly. You would have multiple, yes. multiple times where, yeah, I've run into that where yeah. it just, it just completely flops and dies. And even their family and friends don't go down to Barnes and Noble and pick up a copy. Yes. I've never, I've never experienced that. I've never talked to anyone whose sales numbers have been that low from a, mm-hmm from a traditional publisher of that magnitude, even the mid-list publishers, it's rare to find anyone with a book that's below 1000 copies sold. Like sometimes, you know, you run into like people who are hovering around the 1000 mark or the 2000 mark, but it's really rare to have anyone to find anyone less than that. So that's where my, like, my, like, what, wait, what, where is this, where is this information coming from? What's going on? And why just what's what's the root of what's happening here right 
And I think it's important to note that, you know, if if these numbers came out of the publishing houses' mouths, um, I mean, what a what a great defense! Wow, I mean, look, only half of like less than half, a dozen copies for like half of them. We we have no way of knowing. Like, it's such a right. It's such an idiot defense. Right. Meaning, like they're they're trying to come off as we have no idea what we're doing. Right. Well, it's all crapshoot. Like, so uh, yeah. In that case, those numbers would help them look. That would make their position look a lot more defensible. And I think if they're even if they're accurate, you know what's being included in that fifty-eight thousand trade right. titles is it author translations where the author has absolutely zero presence in that market. And yeah, of course it doesn't sell because nobody knows who this person is. So it just gathers dust on a shelf. Yeah, it's suspicious. It is very suspicious. And so in that Twitter thread from April Henry, who by the way is, she's an author. And so Mm -hmm. she's the one who's kind of like, she posted this interesting tidbit that she heard and that, and it took off. So it's not like she planned for any of this to happen. It just happened to her. Um, and in that thread on Twitter from her, if you read down, there's, of course, she shares many articles with many different perspectives on it. And a lot of people are saying, like, j- just like you said, Carice, like, well, what does this entail? Like, what are the details of this? Right. Like, the publishing industry would not be alive if that were the case, that 50% of their books sold less than 12 copies each. Right. So in that Twitter thread, there was a link to a substack. Um, by Lincoln Michael, not going to pronounce his name perfectly, um, but his substack is called Countercraft. And on this substack, someone from Nielsen, for, from NPD Bookscan, weighed in. And this person went in and pulled data from the official database to try to uncover what happened here with these numbers. Right. And what she found is that if you're looking at all front list books, published in the past 52 weeks by every publisher, you're looking more at like a half a million books, not 58,000. So right. if we think the 58,000 is just looking at the big five publishers, then she found that it's more like 45,000. So there's all, there's, that's already a discrepancy. Like this claim said that there were 58,000 books that fell in this bracket. And this person from Nielsen is saying, well, I'm finding 45,000 books. Right. Um, So there's that. And then when she dug into it, she found that 14.7% of those books sold under 12 copies. So essentially 15%. And the discussion is, was 15 misheard as 50? And so- the person typing the transcript or the people like doing their reporting or even the intern typing out the thing that was to be read for the judge like did at some point was there like a miscommunication with the numbers and that's why we have this kind of this difference this discrepancy but even so 15 percent of books (laughs) selling 12 copies or less is not great And, you know, if you take into account, like, are they, are they including, like we said, you know, this is, this is a translation, it's available, but it's not, it's not moving. It's not doing, is that included in that, that 45,000 number? Is that part of the 14.7%? Right. I mean, 
it's just it can't be no it, that these publishers are doing so terribly with so many books right i saw some speculation online like were they looking at academic titles which yeah guess what those don't sell very much they're the price tag is like a hundred dollars and mm -hmm. they're happy if they sell 20 or so, like that's i mean right don't, don't quote those stats but like that's the general approach of academic publishing so just like you said what books were they looking at when they pulled these numbers um how did we get to <laughs> those numbers because it does not make sense from a business standpoint and from a personal experience experience standpoint it does not make sense the, those numbers of the 50% or even the 15%. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Gate Crashers podcast. If you found value in this episode or in any of the episodes we've done, you can drop a tip in our tip jar. Tips help to offset the cost of the podcast and they'll also help us grow bigger and better. You can send a tip via PayPal. Simply use our link, paypal.me slash gatecrashers. That's paypal.me, M-E, slash gatecrashers, or log into PayPal and search us using our username, which is at gatecrashers. And be sure to be here next week for a brand new episode.